Hello, and welcome to the Physiatry Podcast, where we discuss topics in physical medicine, rehabilitation, pain management, traumatic brain injury, and sports medicine all in one. We focus on delivering the best, unbiased information to our audience. Today, it's podcast number 23. I'm going to give you a full update on COVID-19, vaccines, treatments, case rates. Where are we with this pandemic? I hope everybody's having a good week, a good day. It is, I know, a very difficult time in this world. We have lots of people going through a lot of anxiety and being alone can cause a lot of this. But I really wanted to talk today about COVID-19 and try to get everybody to think on the same page here. And I know I'm not going to be able to achieve that for the most part because there are people that are going to think their own way. But from a science perspective, I really wanted to talk about our case rates, vaccines, treatments, and first of all, the statistics. Currently, the total confirmed cases in the whole world is 18 million, almost 300,000, with a total global death rate approaching 700,000. Now, are these numbers accurate? That's the first thing that I wanted to look at here. And when you think about it, we have a total of 18.3 million cases or so in the world. Is that really accurate as far as how many people actually get it? I don't think so. Reason why I tell you that is that just here in the United States, when we look at seroprevalence or the amount of people that have antibodies towards the SARS-CoV-2 virus or the virus that causes COVID-19, there are about 10 to 12 times more people that have had the disease than that have actually been counted for. So what that means is our denominator is likely much higher than the 4.7 million that are counted in the United States and even the 18.3 million counted throughout the world. And that is because we do not have enough testing and we have not tested everybody. For example, there was a nurse that I know of that turned up antibody positive who actually likely had this in February. So there are many people like that that haven't been counted. She hasn't been counted. Her son hasn't been counted. Maybe some other people within her family haven't been counted that actually were positive. And there's a possibility that some of the people in her family weren't even symptomatic. So how are we supposed to know that? In any case, that means that our total confirmed case rate is much lower than what the actual case rate is. What I'm getting to here is that our global death rate of about 700,000 is actually not that high if you think about the amount of total confirmed cases. When I'm looking at this, we have 18.3 million confirmed cases, probably more like 180 million cases that have happened throughout the world. Now, the United States is probably testing probably about 25% of cases even now. And if that's the case, we are still undercounting significantly. But if we look at before, we were undercounting even more. So if we think about it, okay, 180 million cases, this is a rough estimate, obviously, and about 700,000 deaths. 
which gives us a mortality rate of about 0.4%, which is about four times worse than the flu, which is at about 0.1%. So if you think about it, yes, this is a terrible, terrible thing because none of us have been exposed to it. So it's going to spread like wildfire and... 180 million is still not nearly the 7 billion people or so that live on this earth. So there's a lot more people that have to get this or have to get some sort of immunity towards this condition in order for the death rate or the R not rate to go down to under one where it will not be spreading like wildfire anymore. Currently, our R naught rate is definitely not under one. Now, R naught, of course, refers to the amount of spreading of the condi- of the virus from person to person. Our R naught rate for COVID is between 1.5 and 2.5, estimated on the CDC and the WHO websites. Now, when we think about what measles is or something like that, that was about 15. So this is not nearly as virulent as measles as far as how it gets uh, transmitted from person to person, but it still is quite transmittable. And because none of us have any immunity towards this, unless if you've already had this condition or have had SARS, which uh, not that many people have had, then you would be doing much, then you would actually have immunity towards this and not be able to catch SARS-CoV-2, which is also known as COVID. Now that comes to the point of where are we with vaccines? We have several different vaccine candidates out there. Some of them are in phase three trials. Most of them are in phase three trials at this point that I'm going to talk about. Now there are several different vaccines here. Let's talk about the University of Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which is called a non-replicating viral vector uh, vaccine. There is the Sinovac vaccine. There is a Wuhan Institute of Biological Products vaccine. There's another Beijing Institute of Biological Products vaccine. The last three I mentioned are all inactivated vaccines. There is the Moderna vaccine, which we've been talking about quite a bit. And then there is the Pfizer vaccine, which are both what's called RNA vaccines. There's also what's called a non-replicating viral vector. I talked about that for Astra, AstraZeneca and Oxford. The Canosino Biological Inst- uh, Incorporated Beijing Institute of Biotechnology vaccine is also like that. And then there is a last vaccine here that is called the Anuhi Zifi Longcom Biopharmaceutical vaccine, which is a protein subunit vaccine. Now, these are all different types of vaccines. The focus here I'm going to talk about is about these different types of vaccines and what platform they're talking about. They talk about inactivated RNA, non-replicating viral vector. What are these? Let me talk about these for a couple of minutes here. Let's talk a little history here about what's called cowpox. Now, Many of you have heard of a disfiguring condition called smallpox. This was in the 1760s devastating. It would kill many people and had a big issue with when we when the Europeans came to the Americas and were here, the Indians, many of them got, uh, died because of smallpox. So smallpox is a viral condition that is caused by a virus, just like SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. 
smallpox is caused by the virus called variola major and variola minor. The last naturally occurring case was actually in 1977. It was inoculated and the risk of death following contracting the disease was about 30% with higher rates amongst babies. Now, what happened back in the 1700s was a person named Jenner. He found that someone had already contacted uh, contracted what's called cowpox, which was something like smallpox, but had very mild effect in humans. This cowpox was uh, found in more rural areas with dairy workers. They actually contracted it from the cows. That's why it's called cowpox. Now, what happened was this this guy, the surgeon Edward Jenner, took cowpox, inoculated the cowpox into an eight-year-old boy and six weeks later inoculated the same boy with smallpox and guess what he didn't get smallpox that's because the cowpox created an immune reaction to the smallpox because of cowpox now this was a live vaccine because the cowpox was actually a type of variola virus as well, but it did not cause the same type of disease as smallpox. So let's talk about the polio vaccine. This was also a weakened vaccine of the polio virus. The polio vaccine has two different types. There was the Salk vaccine, which is an a vaccine that was actually killed or the the virus was killed so there was three types of viruses that were grown in monkeys and these were killed with formalin and that virus was inoculated into people and this caused a reaction where you developed IgG and most of us have had this IPV or inactivated polio vaccine or the Salk vaccine now there is also what's called an attenuated vaccine which is a passage of the virus through non-human cells at sub-physiological temperature and causes spontaneous mutations in the viral genome this was actually given uh, orally and caused a higher type of reaction than the Salk vaccine, so it caused more antibodies to be developed. Now, the second type of vaccine is a vaccine that actually reduces the risk from live vaccines. These are subunit vaccines. They're specific protein antigens, such as tetanus or diphtheria toxoid, or the recombinant protein components, such as the hepatitis B surface antigen. These are also being used, or this type of vaccine is also being developed for COVID-19, which is a protein subunit being developed by Anuhi Zifi Longcom Biopharmaceutical. And this is something that has been uh, developed in the past for, as I mentioned, hepatitis B, diphtheria, and tetanus. They can generate antibody responses, but not killer T-cell responses, which may be actually more important for COVID because it seems as though antibody responses may not last forever and may not even last that long. 
Now, the third type of vaccines is what's called a DNA vaccines. These are DNA that codes for specific proteins from the pathogen. This DNA can actually go into the cell and develop the type of protein that can cause an antibody reaction. And there are DNA trials for HIV right now. There are no DNA trials for the COVID vaccine current or for COVID. There are again inactivated vaccines. There are also RNA vaccines, which is a completely different type of vaccines that are something that are sort of like the DNA vaccine, which is a vaccine that actually is developed from RNA. So the RNA is encapsulated. This is sent into the cell. The RNA is then duplicating some sort of a protein, which then is created and and the body develops an antibody response as well as a T-cell response to that. And hopefully we are able to come up with something for COVID-19 that will create this antibody response and a T-cell response. Now, that is important for a lot of different things. There are vaccines for many different things. There's actually a recent vaccine for Ebola in 2019. This was approved. There's been a recent vaccine for malaria, for dengue fever. There's been a recent vaccine for hand, foot, mouth disease. And in 2012, they developed the first quadrivalent influenza vaccine, and that's being used quite a bit now. So we've had vaccines for a long, long time. The first vaccine, of course, was in 1796. We've been using them and been saving lives since 1796. If anybody says that vaccines have not been effective, then you know what? We just have a very significant difference in opinion because vaccines have been around for a long time and have helped save many lives, including eradicated smallpox. Now, if we did have smallpox still around, we would not be talking about COVID-19. Also, if we didn't have the polio vaccine, we would not be talking about COVID-19. We'd still be talking about polio. This was eradicated in most Western cultures many years ago because of the polio vaccine. So think about this. Polio has been eradicated in most of the world because of vaccines. There's a reason for this. Currently, there are only two approved emergency medications for COVID-19. One is what's called remdesivir, which is an antiviral drug. We talked about that. There is also what's called dexamethasone, which is a corticosteroid. There are also other corticosteroids that may be effective in reducing the severity of COVID-19 in very ill hospitalized patients. Now, hydrochloroquine has been, or hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine has been touted as one of the most effective ways for treating COVID-19. This is absolutely not true currently, as all the evidence is suggesting that hydroxychloroquine and, and chloroquine and azithromycin is not effective in treating COVID. The other things that have been talked about are vitamin D. There's currently no evidence that vitamin D may be helping with COVID, but low vitamin D levels may cause people 
to be more susceptible to upper respiratory tract infections and therefore may be more susceptible to COVID. So having a high level or a at least normal level of vitamin D is very important. Now, vitamin D is chronically low in many patients that I've seen and many chronic pain patients of course do not go outside in the sun because they are feeling very weak or feeling very painful so they don't go outside in the sun therefore they don't get vitamin D it is very important to stay normal on your vitamin D it can actually help with natural defense against bacteria and viruses so remember that now critically ill patients have also been treated with high doses of intravenous vitamin C and there's no clear and convincing scientific evidence that high-dose vitamin C has helped with COVID-19. Now, on the other hand, there has been some evidence that high-dose vitamin C has prevented deaths in people with sepsis. That could be the case for patients with COVID-19. That does not mean you should be taking high doses of vitamin C if you are diagnosed with COVID-19. Now, there is serologic or antibody testing available right now for COVID-19, and that may tell you that if you had COVID-19 or not, and it does not tell you, though, if you are protected against getting it because there are different strains of COVID-19, and some may be worse than others. When you look at clinicaltrials.gov, there are hundreds of clinical trials going on for COVID-19, which include things like the BCG vaccine, which may help with patients that, or may help prevent getting COVID-19 to the to everything from there, from hydro, hydroxychloroquine. They have other medications that are being tried in other antivirals other than remdesivir that are being tried to prevent the severity of COVID-19 as well as prevent COVID-19 in certain cases. Now, we don't know what will help with COVID-19 yet other than the two medications that were approved by the FDA at this point. The main thing is to try to stay healthy and try to stay away from people with COVID-19, socially distance, wear a mask, and also make sure that you are washing your hands because we forget about that when we're doing all the other things. So it's important to one, stay away from people, stay away from groups, keep six feet distance, wear a mask, and wash your hands. Finally, I wanted to talk a little bit about case rates of COVID-19. We talk about the amount of cases, but this doesn't give us the whole picture because the amount of cases only tells us, oh, this state has this many cases. Well, guess what? If a state like California, which has almost 40 million people, has 500,000 cases and a state like New York has 450,000 cases, but only has 19 million people that live there, we're going to have a very different case rate. Now, the case rate is highest in the states as follows. Louisiana, 2,500. Arizona, 2,400. Florida, 2,200. New York, 2,100. New Jersey, 2,000. Mississippi, 2,000. Now, a lot of these are old cases because New York and New Jersey were hit quite hard initially, but the other cases, other case rates are much higher in those states. One of the things to think about is the states that currently have mask laws are actually going down where where people are actually paying attention to wearing a mask in public. The case rates are going down. So it's very important to wear a mask in public. And, And states that don't have this rule, I think, should put this into effect immediately. 
because it does dramatically reduce case rates. It doesn't matter how many cases you have in your state, you have to look at the case rate. For example, Nevada is at 1,630. We rarely ever talk about Nevada as being one of the higher case rates, but Nevada is quite high. California, on the other hand, is at 1,296. I live in California, that's why I keep talking about it, because I know this. Hawaii, on the other hand, is only at 158, and they've done a pretty good job of trying to keep the case rate down. This is the number of cases per 100,000 people. So I urge you to look at this number, not the actual number. Now, the other thing is, how many of the cases are actually there, even though they are testing, testing, testing? Are they testing enough? Probably not. And we're missing many cases because we don't have enough test kits because the rate of coronavirus is is rampant and it's going everywhere and people are not getting tested even if they are sick so i urge you if you are sick to get tested for covid19 and if you do get sick isolate and stay away from other people try not to infect your whole family because that's how race rates get going up there are still about 20 to 50 percent of people that will be infected that won't even know because they are completely asymptomatic and this is why it's important to wear a mask and why it's important to socially distance because even people that are not sick currently can make you sick so make sure you do that and so quickly what do i think about as far as what's going to happen with coronavirus. I've talked, I've never really spoken about this myself. Uh, I think uh, Santosh or Dr. Nadipuram spoke about this in an episode a little while ago. And he thought that, you know, the coronavirus is going to go away. This was before we had this huge outbreak here. The coronavirus is likely going to be around for a while. We're going to see this here in the United States for a long time, and it's going to affect us for a long time. And even if our R0 or our doubling rate is going to go down below 1, which it can happen, if the doubling rate goes below 1, what will happen, though, is that we will get, we will get the actual amount of people, the, the amount of cases to drop significantly. And that will be great. But the problem is, despite that, even if the R0 drops below one, there still will be many, many infections going around and there will still be people getting sick and dying from this condition. So we have to make sure that despite us getting the R0 down by getting vaccines, by doing the right things, wearing a mask, etc., we still, after getting a vaccine, we're still going to have to socially distance and keep six feet distance until we know how effective the vaccine is, number one. And number two, we'll also have to make sure that people that aren't vaccinated are protected from whoever actually can still be carrying the disease. So this is going to be around at least another couple of years, and we may have to go through a few more episodes of locking down. We may have to go through a few more episodes of actually being isolated and it is what it is. We just have to live with it because at this point, this 
disease is here and it's here to stay and it's taken over our population unfortunately but the more we socially distance the more we wear masks the more we do things to protect ourselves and to protect other people the more this will start to dissipate so at this point thank you for listening this is the physiatry podcast this is our special on COVID-19 I hope you guys have a wonderful couple weeks. And in a couple weeks, I'm going to talk a little bit about Parkinson's disease. We found out today that one of my favorite radio hosts, Ralph Barbieri, are called the Razor here in in the San Francisco Bay Area. He passed away today from Parkinson's disease. He was one of my favorite people to listen to when I was coming back home from Berkeley, when I went to Berkeley. And just a great guy to listen to on the radio and really was passionate about what he spoke about. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Parkinson's disease in tribute to the razor. Thank you again for listening to the Physiatry Podcast. This is Dr. Avinash Ramchandani, your host. I hope you've enjoyed our special on COVID-19. I will be hopefully giving you more updates on COVID-19 and the vaccine. You can listen to it right here on the Physiatry Podcast. 